Welcome to this week's serving of Oyster Stew, a mix of financial services commentary and insights. Each week, we'll discuss what is happening in the industry based on what we see as we work with regulators and clients. We hope you come away with the knowledge and tools to help you make the best decisions for your firm's future. I'm Elizabeth Gatlin, your host for today's podcast. In previous episodes, we've talked about when and why you should be evaluating your clearing platform and some things to consider. Today, I'm joined by Oyster Managing Director, Pete McAteer, who will talk about what to do after you've identified any gaps in your platform needs. Pete has spent the past 20 years leading complex organizational and operational integrations, change management and implementations, client service programs, technology and SDLC control programs, process improvements, and clearing vendor evaluations. So Pete, last time we talked about evaluating your clearing platform provider. As a firm, how do you manage and prioritize the issues and enhancements with your current clearing firm? So tracking those those items, uh, action items, risks, issues, enhancement opportunities is important. Um, it's, it's project management 101, assigning accountability, assigning priority to those items, and having ongoing discussions and getting ongoing updates on where those things stand, setting dates, target dates for delivery, and holding uh, your vendor, whichever, whether it's a clearing vendor or another vendor, holding them accountable for delivery uh, is, I think, a good best practice. So, Pete, what are some recent changes in clearing agreements that you can share with us? What we see is a lot more of incentivizing growth where there's a win-win or a symbiotic relationship between the clearing firm and the introducing broker-dealer. There are opportunities that we see more and more that there's there are pricing options around asset-based pricing. So as the firm grows, as assets are gathered and assets under management or AUM increases, that the basis point pricing also incentivizes um, the clearing firms to bring their resources to bear to help support and enhance and even catalyze the growth uh, that your firm's going through. Let me say a few things about revenue sharing. What we're seeing is I think everybody's aware with DOL and Reg BI and other other uh, uh, regulatory scrutiny uh, of, of, the, uh, of the business that we're in that revenue sharing opportunities are being scrutinized by the regulators. It's important to understand that before you launch into a long-term agreement that uh, incentivizes you as, as the introducing broker-dealer to sign a contract based upon revenue sharing opportunities that may or may not be there uh, in the coming years. We, as Oyster Consulting, in our practice, are staying in tune with that and staying in tune with what's happening across the industry. And we're seeing these agreements less and less uh, dependent upon revenue sharing going forward. Things like 12V1s or 529 plans, share class conversions, things like that change the economics of the arrangement with your clearing firm. It's important to really understand those opportunities, to understand where those um, those things exist in your P&L, and what the long-term impacts could be if those uh, if those changes do occur. 
On expense reductions, it's important to understand volumes of transactions, how your business is growing, the product types, uh, really ensuring that expenses are being scrutinized and that if there are opportunities with scale, there's some repricing opportunities as well. You know, the postage and handling is a, is a big, big price lever that, that, that comes into play. Uh, where clearing firms are starting to incentivize, or have been for years, frankly, but have starting to incentivize e-delivery of documentation to reduce the postage and handling costs as well. The e-delivery shouldn't be a very large cost. The capability maybe should be a subscription, but there should not be any per transaction or per delivery charges in your agreement. How do you know if it makes sense to stay with your current clearing partner? Well, I think after doing a, clear, a clearing evaluation or clearing assessment, after we fully understand the current state of your firm, we understand what your growth plan and strategy is to get there, uh, and you've evaluated other clearing firms and their abilities to meet your needs, it's important then to do a side-by-side -side comparison. Ahead of doing that side-by-side -side comparison, we strongly urge each, each of our clients to establish their key decision criteria. In making that decision, understanding what, what's important to your firm, That's establishing the, a clear, documented decision criteria, including weighting, weighting as in how much, how much of a priority are each of those decision criteria. Establishing those ahead of time before you get into the sales process will help your firm and help your leadership team who are involved in the evaluation of the clearing vendors will help them all to remain objective and to stay on point. It's important to establish that going forward. Um, a lot of times as we, uh, we often joke uh, the clearing firm evaluation is often like marriage counseling. Um, and we say that jokingly, but I think folks that, that, are, that are listening to this understand exactly what we're saying. Sometimes a relationship can get long and expected and just needs to be reset or refreshed. Most of the time it's about reestablishing and resetting communications. More than 50% of our engagements, the clients choose to stay with their current clearing provider. However, we always say status quo is not an option. By that we mean it can't keep going the same way it's gone. You've gotten your partner's attention, hence marriage counseling. The, the relationship changes. The relationship should get deeper, should get better, and should be refreshed for the next three to five years if you decide to renew with your current clearing provider. It does not mean, though, once you've established that and maintained that relationship and kept it current, refreshed it, reset it, that you shouldn't continuously be aware of and staying in touch with the other clearing providers in order to just ensure that you're, that you're staying current with the technology that's out there, with the integrations that are out there, and the opportunities to create a better platform for your advisors to be more productive and more efficient. Let's talk about the process of selecting a clearing provider. So what should you know before you start the process? 
think it's important to understand the industry landscape, what's been going on in, in, uh, in the industry over the past uh, few years, even the most recently in the most recent few months. What are the trends? What are the most recent relevant benchmarks to firms like yours? Oyster has a lot of that, that, that uh, industry expertise, those benchmarks with recent experience, and again, those relationships with, uh, with the clearing vendors that we can bring to bear. It's also important as you're going through this process to make sure that you're transparent with, uh, with your entire leadership team. Getting the team on board to understand the rationale and the reasons for going through a, a clearing evaluation, oftentimes it's just as simple as saying, this is a healthy vendor management, vendor evaluation step that we need to take because this is our largest vendor expense. Oftentimes that's enough to get everybody's attention. It is also healthy, as we've said um, in earlier podcasts, that uh, evaluating these, uh, these other clearing vendors is healthy. It's healthy, it's important. Seeing what else is out there, uh, as I've heard uh, Pete Bowman say, who is the managing director of strategic planning and execution many, many times, one, two, three years are light years in this industry. We've seen so much change over the past few years that it's really, really important. It's vitally important for you to stay abreast of what's going on out there around you. So once you've made your decision to change, what comes next? Well, it's the planning and preparation for the conversion I think are really important. Again, communicating the decision, what is your overall communication plan? Oyster can help you with that. Um, executives must buy in and that must be communicated to understand that the leadership team made the decision and, and reached consensus. The leadership team has to be fully on board and they and you really if you have one chink in the armor and someone is out there saying I don't know why we're making this change or, or naysaying uh, the change that's it's important that the leadership team presents itself as making that consensus decision that it's in the best interest of the firm, the advisors, and its clients. Explain your business case. What's in it for the staff? What's in it for the, the, the users and the folks who are going to be impacted by this change? The business case, I think everybody understands what a business case is about, is what were the problems that we were trying to solve, what we did about it, what was our journey to get to this point, and how are we going to go about managing this change, and how are we going to be supporting the folks that are impacted by the change properly. So what should you take into account before executing your communication plan? You need to think of a communication plan as both internal and external. I think it's important that you communicate clearly why you're changing. What are the key uh, key things? If you are making that, that decision to change clearing platforms, everybody knows it's painful. It's painful to your advisors. It's painful to their support staff, the sales assistants. It's painful to the operations. Those are the internal changes. But most importantly, it's also painful to your clients. Repapering is a challenge. Uh, repapering can be done in, in more painless ways, or at least painful ways. Um, how your clearing firm can support those efforts and reducing that pain is, is really, really important. Um, if you're considering that change, what, hit, what 
what has driven you to this, to this decision? What are the compelling reasons to make you really look hard at making a change? If you decided to make the change, you have to be crystal clear on what those compelling reasons were to make the change and clearly articulate what the wins are. What's in it for the client? What's in it for your advisors? What's in it for your home office users of the system and the application? It's important to note those upticks to get everybody excited about the upcoming change, to be looking at the positives, but understanding and being transparent about how you're mitigating or managing the downside, which is the pain of change. Um, the communic internal communication plan should also involve providing management with updates and talking points. It's, in, it's important to provide talking points for your, your advisors that are out there talking to their clients to give them a script, to give them some key bullets, to stay on message so that the communication as decisions are made uh, as you're going through the conversion process can be articulated and clearly conveyed out there to the advisors. It's also important to have feedback mechanisms as you're going through the conversion process to ensure that whether client, it's client feedback or advisor feedback or internal uh, home office feedback, it's important to ensure that there's a mechanism to capture and hear those internal questions uh, so they can be managed and responded to in a timely fashion. Oftentimes, the questions are being asked before those decisions are made and will help inform better decisions that meet, meet the firm's needs. As soon as those key decisions are made and, and fully vetted and grounded and understood, get those decisions out there. Communicate regularly. Oftentimes we see firms use uh, internal, the most prevalent uh, internal communication mechanisms are the, their intranet sites as well as uh, they'll have, maybe even create a conversion page or a landing page where they can keep all conversion related uh, materials. Whether it's training materials or links to training materials or road, recorded road shows or the FAQs, the most, most frequently asked questions, those decisions can be posed out there and can be communicated in such a way. We've also seen email communications go out as monthly status reports on how the conversion is going. And as you get closer to the conversion, there'll be more frequent, uh, more frequent communications out to the field or perhaps even um, uh, town halls or conference calls to give quick updates on a weekly basis as you, as you get closer to conversion date. Tracking the conversion metrics, being, being sure that you've got ability to capture that. Um, give credit to those folks that are out there working hard to make sure these conversions are happening, that the conversion activities are being done in a timely fashion, decisions are being made, and the hard work, the heavy lifting of, of executing on the conversion uh, is, is, is being uh, recognized and rewarded uh, and acknowledged. Sometimes public recognition is, is, the most, is the best form of flattery and, uh, and recognition. What things should you be doing to ensure your team is ready for the execution? Making sure that you have the appropriate resources in place, I think, is important. If your team's already working 50, 60 hour weeks, adding a conversion on top of that is probably not going to go over well. Uh, 
that's another place where oyster can help, but there's also other ways to uh, pass along or turn over some, some key work to uh, other resources within your organization, or perhaps take some of the more uh, manual or administrative type tasks and perhaps uh, support or fortify your existing staff with uh, some temporary associates that can come in and help you for a, a confined period of time. It's also important to really look at you know, what are the risks, what are the worries, what are the concerns that are out there. I think to, to brainstorm ahead of a conversion, just to say what are you worried about and ask ask your field, ask your, your key advisors, ask some key, key sales assistants, uh, operations leaders, uh, compliance, especially compliance and legal, to ensure all the right folks are you getting all pers perspectives of the change and what is worrying them or what's keeping them awake at night. Once you have that laundry list, you can then do a risk assessment of all those risks, ensure that all the right people are weighing in you can prioritize those risks, you can determine some mitigation strategies, and decide whether or not you're going to act upon those. Identifying what those triggers are for some of those risks is going to be important as well. But I think the earlier you do that risk assessment, the earlier you get some of those risks, those worries and concerns out there and documented and discussed and be transparent about that process and about those discussions, uh, I think the better off it, uh, your conversion will go. What are your suggestions for managing your vendor relationship? The clearing vendor relationship is truly a strategic relationship. It's vital to your firm for an introducing broker dealer or an RIA to in ensure that you are communicating clearly and effectively with your, with your vendor is important. We often talk about ensuring that your vendor, your clearing partner, is not just a vendor. Your clearing partner is a strategic partner that is engaged, fully engaged in your business. And again, via the contract and via growth incentives, uh, and it, even the pricing model of how the, the contract is, is, uh, is arranged and executed, it's important that you work to transform a vendor relationship, which sounds very cold, black and white, into a more strategic relationship with a fully engaged clearing vendor that will help your firm grow and meet your growth objectives. Um, for existing uh, clearing, uh, clearing partners, oftentimes we see with the marriage counseling that communication and more effective communication, more regular communication, holding each other accountable for deliverables is very, very important. So from the Oysters perspective, we spend a lot of time talking about that vendor management processes or, or governance processes or PMO that will help manage all the needs across your firm. Larger firms, a lot of time get spread out and there's not a centralized mechanism to, uh, to collect the needs, to collect the requests that have, uh, that have been going out to your clearing partner. And as those are collected, there's an opportunity then to track each of those, to hold the uh, 
uh, clearing partner accountable and ensure that the right priorities are being addressed. If you're asking from 14 different points of contact across your firm to your clearing vendor, it's impossible for the clearing vendor to react and respond to those, those needs. And it's also impossible for your leadership team to hold your clearing partner uh, accountable for delivering on those needs. What's the hardest part of a conversion? I think it's clear and timely communication and delivering communications in ways that you're touching everybody in the most effective way possible. We often say you need to communicate in multiple ways the same information. You also don't want to communicate too much, too regularly, too consistently with the same mechanisms because you're, the, the folks that are receiving those communications are numb to it at some point. It's important that important communications that you really need to get out there, the urgent important communications, are delivered in ways that the field, the recipients of those communications are aware that these are the headlines. These are the things I do need to pay attention to. Oftentimes we see firms get within a week or two of conversion, then they're the affected folks, whether it's the clients, whether it's the advisors, whether it's the sales assistants, all of a sudden wake up and realize the conversion's here. How do I do six or eight weeks of training in two weeks? Or the Monday after conversion, uh, how do I log in? Those are things that you want to ensure I've taken care of well in advance. It's important that you clearly articulate early on in the process what the communication plan is, how you're going to communicate, when you're going to communicate, and who's going to be doing the communication. If you do that early and stay with that strategy and stay on, on point, stay on task, you'll be, you'll be highly successful. There are always going to be folks that don't pay attention, that are busy serving their clients' needs, and it's important though to assess that evaluate that the closer you get and I think it's important too as you do your readiness assessment which we recommend about four to six weeks ahead of the conversion that you do a kind of touch base with each of your key constituents with each of your key branches and go through a readiness assessment um, evaluation with them assess early enough that you can address the concerns Thanks, Pete, for sharing all that. I know there is a lot more to say on the subject, but to be respectful of everyone's time, we'll have one more podcast about how and why Oyster is uniquely positioned to help your firm with the evaluation and potential implementation and change management process. Thanks again for listening to the Oyster Stew podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so we can continue to bring you resources to help you make the best decisions for your firm. If you're struggling with a topic and you'd like us to do a podcast on it, or you'd like a free consultation, feel free to reach out to us at 804-965-5400 or by visiting our website at oysterllc.com.